Hi, this is Lisa, and you are listening to I Love That Movie. This podcast is for movie lovers. It's not an unbiased opinion. It's not a straightforward review. It's just a couple people talking about a movie that they love. The format is each week I have a guest, and that guest and I discuss a movie that they love, something they're obsessed with, something they connect with. We'll talk about the plot, the director, and the actors, but we'll also talk about the personal connection my guest has with that movie. So if that sounds like something you want to listen to, keep listening. Hey guys, before this episode starts, I do want to give a disclaimer. My Blue Yeti mic that I am currently on is taking a turn for the worst. Um, It's about two years, it's past warranty, and it is breaking down. So I I did a pretty good job of editing this episode and minimizing the times when the mic kind of had a little bit of a struggle. But I am getting a new mic, and so future episodes won't have this problem. I just wanted to make this quick disclaimer so that you know this is not typical of my episodes. Uh, Thank you so much. I still think it's a great episode. It's not hugely noticeable, but felt like I had to say something. So thanks guys for listening and here's that app. Hey, this is Lisa. And if you want to catch up with me on Twitter, you can find me at ILTM Podcast. I'm also on Instagram. I love that movie podcast. And we have a Patreon. Uh, This show is always free. But if you want to support us on there, you can at patreon.com, patreon.com slash I love that movie. I want to take a moment to thank our top patrons. And they are Chris Balga, Michael Cross, and Philip Barker. Thank you guys so much for keeping the lights on. And to anyone that signs up, right now we're going through all the episodes of The Mandalorian, starting with Season 1. If you want to catch up, we've already covered Episode 1 and 2 of Season 1, and we're going to continue until we cover them all. Um, And we also have like a little bit of a weekly roundup. It's my thoughts on everything outside of movies. So join us on there. It's super fun. You can start at just a dollar. and if not, that's cool too. Just listen to this. Uh, we also have a website, I love that moviepodcast.com, a Discord, and a Facebook group. And lastly, guys, if you do like what you heard today, please subscribe and rate the show. It does help new listeners find us. And I have a returning guest today. I have Stephen Adams, the co host of the Horseshoes and Hand Grenades podcast. Say hi. Hello, everybody. Hey, and um, so you came on here, I think, that, was that a year ago? What was, wh- which movie did we cover? Oh, man, yeah, it was just about a year ago. We did Who Framed Roger Rabbit. That's right. That was an awesome episode. That was so fun. Um, in case someone hasn't heard that episode yet, which they should go back and listen to that, but if they haven't heard that yet and they haven't heard your show, can you introduce yourself a little bit? Sure. I'm, I'm Steven Adams. I'm a co-host of Horseshoes and Hand Grenades and another show called Staring at Goats, uh, co-founder of the Two Dorks Network of Podcasts, which right now is just two podcasts, but it's fun. Uh, but yeah, I've been podcasting since like 2005. I'm a software developer by wow. day. Um, and I like to talk about movies and other weird stuff and odd news and fun things. And I like to laugh a lot. <laughs> your show is so fun. Um, I've been on Horseshoes and Hand Grenades. I've called in. And I've seen your live show at Dragon Con. And that was a lot of fun. So oh, thank you. highly, so highly great. recommend. Hopefully we get to do <laughs> another live one this year. You invited me. And I do want to stress that 
you know, and this is just like my own, like not knowing a whole lot about your show yet and, and the concept, but I just walked into like a packed room, barely found a seat. Everyone was going crazy. You were throwing out prizes and candy and it was just like, <laughs> I mean, it was like really fun. It was super <laughs> so. cool. That was our first like big live show. You you being shocked that there were 80 people in the room was, was probably equivalent to how shocked we were uh, that there were 80 <laughs> people in the room. I, it was I like a game back. show. Yeah. It was yeah, so we, good. We modify the show when we're live, so it's not just us reading the news. It's very interactive. So if you're at DragonCon next year, we plan on being there. So we'll do it again. Yeah, I'm, I here's hoping. Fingers yeah, crossed. Yeah, right? Fingers crossed. <laughs> <laughs> um, so, Stephen, um, you know, my guest always picks the movie. So what movie did you choose to talk about today? Oh, I picked a wonderful film for us to talk about that I love very much, hence me picking it. Uh, and that's True Grit, the 2010 Coen Brothers version. It is a yes. near, near and dear to my heart. I love this movie so very much. I'm so glad that you asked me to come back so I could have another excuse to talk about it. Oh my gosh, I love this movie and I am very excited to talk about it. I will say before we continue, if you have not seen this movie, I suggest pausing and going and watching it because we are not spoiler free on this show. We will be talking spoilers, so... Here is your final warning. I'm going to go ahead and read the synopsis and then we'll kind of jump into your history with this movie and so on and so forth. Yeah. After an outlaw named Tom Cheney murders her father, feisty 14-year-old farm girl Maddie Ross hires Rooster Cogburn, a boozy trigger-happy lawman, to help her find Cheney and avenge her father. The bickering duo are not alone in their quest, for a Texas ranger named Labeef is also tracking Cheney for reasons of his own. Together, the unlikely trio ventures into hostile territory to dispense some Old West justice. Oh, man. Does that not make you want to watch it, like, again? I like... mean, immediately. <laughs> and, like, I did, reading that, leave out, like, the names. We'll get into the names of, you know, the actors that play these different characters. Because it's an incredible cast. Yeah. But, yeah, just that description alone. Um, I, okay, so when did you first see this movie? I saw it in theaters uh, Christmas 2010 when it came out because uh, I was visiting with family and we were talking about before the show started. My dad's very much a cowboy and he's part of the reason I love Westerns so much. And it came out on Christmas. I'm like, I'm home. We're going. Uh, so we went to see <laughs> True Grit together and it was it was fantastic then, too. And I haven't been able to get out of my head since. I can't believe it came out in 2010. Like when right? I went back to watch it, I was like, what? That was 10 years ago. That seems impossible. But I saw this in theaters too. I think I saw it with my husband and my mom and her husband. And um, we loved it. I mean, we went because my mom is a, a pretty big Coen Brothers fan. Uh, one of her favorite movies in the world is The Big Lebowski, which is super yes. weird if you knew her. She's like the most serious lawyer mom, but she <laughs> loves that movie. Um, and she loves Oh Brother, Where Art Thou? She yes. actually introduced me to that movie. Um, and, you know, so by this point, I was also a Coen Brothers fan. Uh, I had been converted and I was very excited about this film, but it just, it just blew me away. It's so good. I'm just so glad that you picked it because it's like one of my favorites. I feel like it's almost underrated. Is that fair to say? Yeah, I I would agree with that. Like you don't hear it very often, but then you watch it and you're like, why are people not singing this movie's praises far and wide? You know? 
Yes. And, and that kind of fits into the next part of the show. I'm going to talk a little bit about some like three quick facts to just spit out there. And if you have some too, you can as well. But the first one that I had was 15,000 girls applied for the role of young Maddie Ross with the part going to Haley Seinfeld when she was 13. Uh, it was her theatrical feature film debut, which is weird to think about now because she's had a pretty big career after that. Yeah. Yeah, she has. She's a big singer now, too. Um, mm-hmm. so I, I listen to some of her songs on Spotify. <laughs> yeah, she's so. not bad. <laughs> she's pretty good. Yeah, she's very talented. But yeah, like that was yeah. wild. I remember people freaking out. They're like, Haley Steinfeld, a new actress on the scene, is really blowing minds and true grit. You know, it was, it was really it's really a big moment for her. And then it just kind of went from there. She's been in a lot of really cool stuff. Edge of 17 and Bumblebee. Um Mm-hmm. Probably, and she voiced she voiced Spider Gwen in the Into the Spider Verse. That's right. That's right. Like, yeah. yeah, I love when actors that you like when they're younger just get to keep being awesome as they they move forward. Like they don't disappear. I'm like, yes, you have real talent. You can do this, and I'm excited for you. <laughs> very, very true. Yeah. Uh, despite Maddie Ross having the most screen time and being considered the protagonist, Haley Steinfeld was nominated for Best Supporting Actress in many award shows, including the Academy Awards. That's interesting because she's the first one you see. Um, and she does have like the most screen time, the most lines. Um, me and my husband were talking about it and we're thinking maybe it's because it was her debut film. And even though it's really about her, it's like what got people into the theater were, you know, Jeff Bridges and Matt Damon and Josh Brolin. So maybe, it, I mean, just the presence of those heavyweights maybe is why... It's considered supporting? I don't know. I imagine the balance when they're trying to figure that out is really difficult. Because Jeff Bridges, like, he's he's Rooster Cogburn. That's what everybody remembers from the John Wayne movie is, like, John Wayne, exactly. right? Yeah. And then you've got Maddie Ross. It's like they're, they're kind of co-stars in the most balanced sense. You know, they both carry yeah. that movie. So that, if anybody's a supporting actor, it's Matt Damon, you know? but Right, right. Because he's, two, like not in it as much yeah right yeah exactly he's he's not in as much but that had to be a difficult call to make who were we going to pitch as lead and and secondary there Mm-hmm. and on that note the movie was nominated for 10 academy awards failing to win any what and going down in film history as one of the most ever nominated films to not win an oscar that's disgusting I want to write a letter. I'm going to write <laughs> a strongly upsetting. worded letter to the Academy. Like, who was up that I'm gonna year? Go, yeah, I'm going to go back and look at now, if they're listening, I feel like Academy Rewind would love that <laughs> fact because they would, they have definitely probably either covered it or will cover it. But um, I need to go look up that year and see. Because sometimes you look up a year and you're like, well, you know. Yeah, yeah, but yeah. T- for them to get 10 and not one win, that is bizarre. Yeah, that's so nuts. I want to see what happened that year. Um. So, you know, that kind of transitions into the next part of the show I kind of wanted to cover is that this was directed by the Coen brothers, Ethan and Joe Coen. Um, is this your favorite Coen brothers film? Ooh, that's a tough one. That's a tough <laughs> one. Because, like, the Coens, the thing about them is they will make an Oscar-worthy film, and then they'll make a joke movie. And then they'll make an Oscar-worthy exactly. film, and then they'll make a movie where everybody's like, why did they do that? It's kind of like, I mean, it's it's your Big Lebowski and Burn After Reading and Hail Caesar are on a different level completely than this and No Country for Old Men and, I don't know, Fargo. Fargo kind of blends the two. But, you know, they have they, they, they do such different things. It's like I almost want to have two choices 
one almost want to be like, this is my favorite Coen Brothers film when they have a serious hat on to some degree. And then like Lebowski's just kind of always been up there at the top of the charts for me. Those guys are just masters of dialogue, man. I love listening to people talk, and I love character, and they just know how to do it. I I don't know. If you had a gun to my head, I don't know if I could pick it. (laughs) I think picking two categories makes sense, because I I completely agree with you. They're masters of dialogue, um, and that enables them to cover different, uh, different genres, and they can be so insanely funny, but then just... Yeah, No Country for Old Men is clearly a different movie. Oh, yeah. <laughs> so, um, yeah, it, it, it is hard to pick one. I, I don't know if I could either. The Big Lebowski is really up there, which th- would probably upset them because they're they've always been like, why do people love that movie yeah, right? so much? Um, you know, Raising Arizona uh, is another great one. Um, you know, yeah, No Country for Old Men. Obviously, this I actually really like Hill Caesar, even though like that's kind of had mixed reactions. I loved Hill Caesar. Of... I loved. Thank it. you, I, thank you. I, I, the era they were they set it in was perfect. The the fact that it really had no purpose. I was still on my on the floor rolling around laughing at certain parts. Like I couldn't contain myself. It's like uh, that Agreed. one. That one I remember. And and Burn After Reading was one of the first movies where we got to the end. And I don't want to spoil that for anybody, but they get to the end and you realize the entire movie is basically a pun- you're waiting on a punchline. And when it hits, me and my <laughs> friend were like bent over in the theater, laughing so hard we could not breathe while the credits were rolling. And I was like, This oh is why gosh. I love them. This is why I love them. You don't know what you're watching until yes. you get to the end. So much so, yeah. I, you know, and then there's also, like I said, Oh Brother, Where Art Thou? You mentioned yeah. Fargo. I mean, these are just such great films. Like, it's incredible how many good movies they've had. Um, and so, yeah, I'm a pretty big fan. I think, though, this is, I think this is only the second Coen Brothers film we've covered, which is surprising. That's wild. Um, get on that, people. Yeah. No, I'm kidding. Where are you at? Um, but, <laughs> but like, you know, happy to, to cover it, obviously. So, kind of back to this movie uh do you want to talk a little bit about the cast yeah yeah jeff bridges um i didn't know what to think when i saw the the trailer i'm like oh man okay true grit's coming out and i had never seen the original john wayne movie um at the time despite my dad basically having on western channel for my entire teenage life uh, i never watched (laughs) i never watched it so i didn't know what to expect i'm like jeff bridges is a cowboy's kind of wild i don't know how that's gonna work and um I didn't, to be honest, I didn't really know who else was in it. I knew they were talking about Haley Steinfeld. And at, at the point when I saw it, I was like, oh, I'm just going to go with my dad and we'll watch this movie. Uh, Matt Damon was honestly a surprise to me. I was that clueless walking in. And I'm like, wait, Matt Damon's in this movie? And then he played such <laughs> an incredible character uh, in Labeef. I'm just like, okay, this is this is really good. This is working. Um, but I'm, everybody just held their own so well. And who they played was perfect like like I, I just can't get over jeff bridges portrayal of rooster cogburn because it's so different than john wayne um which i did finally watch that movie it's so different than john wayne and i prefer it um because he plays that that just old angry sheriff um more believably somehow than john wayne ever did or sheriff i should say u.s marshal um but yeah, man, I don't know. There's, there's just that uh, that cast that they pulled together was just perfect. Even the faces I don't recognize, like the guy who played Lucky Ned, 
he was he was awesome as Lucky Ned. He was gross and he was angry and and I was like, I'm in. I don't know who you are, but you need to be in more stuff. Um, but yeah, yeah. Um, you know, Jeff Bridges. Yeah, this is a huge departure. I mean, w- I think it would be fair to say that Cogburn is the opposite of the dude, right? Yeah. Yes. <laughs> like the literal po- polar opposite. And it's funny because you know, in that movie, there was sort of a cowboyish lean to that as well with you know um what's his name sam elliott's character and the way it's narrated and stuff so this is like you could almost see it as like a serious version of that um but yeah like he is so good in this role because he is just playing it i think more realistically in a lot of ways like he's um you know he he's he's a lawman and everything but he's also very flawed he's drunk he truly represents like the lawlessness of the wild west yeah and um i think he does such a good job at that and then uh you know Haley steinfeld we've already talked about that was a huge breakout role for her she's literally 13 when she was cast and you know for plays 14 in the movie and is 14 which i think is a rarity in hollywood yes, i was about I to could say that totally yeah i could totally see them you know being tempted to hire an adult and have them play a 14 year old because I think the role almost demands that it's incredible that she's able to deliver all that dialogue so convincingly. Yeah. And I mean, they've done that before you think of, um, of, um, Oh shoot. Juno, Juno, what's her name? Yeah. Yeah. Uh, uh Ellen page, Ellen page, Ellen page, was like 23. <laughs> she was playing like 15 yeah. or whatever it was in Juno. <laughs> and I, and you know, right. the audience knows, we know they look young, but we, we can tell, you know, you go back and watch like varsity <laughs> blues or something. Everybody's 27 playing 17 <laughs> year olds. Um, yeah, ex- yeah, exactly. Yeah, so I'm glad they they gave they actually stuck to her her real age. And man, she owned the screen every time she was on it. She had a lot of stuff to do, <laughs> a lot of mm-hmm. stuff. Like imagine doing having all those words to say and also having to act because people forget acting is more than just saying the words. There's the ticks and the movements and where you're going and what you're thinking. And I mean, it was it, she was just spot on. She was amazing. Right, yeah, like half of acting is just responding to someone else. Absolutely. Yeah. Um so also, you know, you mentioned Matt Damon and yeah, he's kind of I mean, he's playing different too because we're used to him sort of being more of a leading man and in this movie he's kind of I mean, he's like a sheepish, goofy good guy yeah. that is a little too arrogant and <laughs> <laughs> lots of things happen to him to kind of knock him down a peg. Um, but he plays it really, really well, and I really enjoy his character too. He really, Lebeef really grows on you as the as the movie wears on. That they did a good job with that because you, he's almost despicable to start with. Like you kind of look at him <laughs> as the guy, the way he, the, the one scene where he first meets uh, Maddie Ross, and he's sitting there at her uh, at the foot of her bed. He, the way he says, "I'm a Texas Ranger," and he kind of looks off to the side and pulls his shirt over so she can see the badge. Like the way he did that was just so oh gosh get over yourself kind of kind of attitude, uh, and as it moved on the little things he kept talking about as they went along of how Texas Rangers do things you know and he really God it's so indicative though of Texas I mean a Texan <laughs> myself like we think we're on like another planet and <laughs> like 
mentioning that you're Texan or from Texas or doing things. I mean, we've got our own toast. It's out of control it's out true. here. And so I feel like, is this the inception of that? Yeah. <laughs> it's just a very accurate portrayal of a Texan even today, I have to say. That's good to know. That's really good to know. <laughs> uh, hey, what I did learn is even though they might be cocky, you want them on your side in a gunfight. <laughs> yeah, I mean, he did that very well. And yeah, guns are still very popular here. So there's that. Yeah, sure. Um <laughs> uh but yeah he's he's great and then i think like there's some surprises for me in this movie like josh brolin's character tom cheney i mean he's the main bad guy but like i mean we don't see him for a really long time and then when we do i'm like whoa that's josh brolin yeah right <laughs> do you feel that way yeah and i don't i don't know that he he's been doing work consistently but there's been like a, a renaissance of josh brolin recently i think in the, the last five or yes. ten years or so um, and this yes. was kind of when you started to go, Josh Brolin, oh, the kid from the Goonies? <laughs> That's what I was thinking. Like, is he still a thing? <laughs> yeah. And like, you know, yeah, now he's been like in Deadpool 2 and like just had like bigger roles. But back then it's it felt like for a while he was doing sort of these like character roles, I guess. And mm-hmm. I mean, that's kind of what Coen brothers are known for. You mentioned like even when people have like a small role, it's like, we'll cast them in everything because they just, the way they write their dialogue and the way they direct, it's like, I don't know. They just make every single little small role so fun. Oh, um, yeah. On that note, I this time realized that Donald Gleason was in this. <laughs> was he? Oh, oh, wait. Was he the dude in the, was the, the Methodist, uh, who had the Methodist brother or whatever in the cabin? No. Who yeah, was the he? guy that gets shot in the leg what? and then that has was... his fingers chopped off. Yes. <laughs> he disappears into that role. I did not even I I knew I recognized him a little bit, but I didn't put it together. Well, it really feels like it could be anybody, right? Like almost like it's a throwaway role, but I think because this was a while back. I mean, it's 10 yeah. years ago. Yeah, Just sure. think of all that he's been in now, but yeah, yeah. Yeah, I love he that does guy. disappear into the role. Oh. I should, I wanted to do your about time episode it's so bad I was yelling at the podcast or at the I'm like I love that part. Domino Gleason is one of my favorite actors ever. So that's cool. I can't believe I didn't recognize him. I guess it was the hair and the accent and the I mean, way he's he just so sweaty and he hardly looks up. Yeah, it's like I can see why you didn't recognize him. Yeah, for sure. <laughs> um but let's go ahead and we we've kind of dipped into it a little bit but why don't we talk about some of your favorite scenes? Oh, like all of them. I was sitting there, like, I know that's a question you asked. So I was trying to take notes as I'm watching the movie, like, what, what is my favorite scene? And I like wrote down the Undertaker scene. This is amazing. And then I was like, the horse trader scene. This is also amazing. I'm like writing down as it goes. The trial. Oh, my word. If there's ever been an introduction of a character that got you everything you needed to know, Without exposition, just like through pure dialogue and pure storytelling, the trial that Rooster Cogburn is is sitting on the stand for is probably one of the best examples of that in cinema. Like, it's just, you Mm -hmm. learn everything you need to know about who Rooster Cogburn is by two three people engaged in a conversation. Um, And that's the kind of stuff I love. Like, I kind of hate when movies have to pause and be like, let me tell you the tale of when I was a boy or whatever. Like, it's... I don't like that. I like when I organically learn who people are by what they say and what their attitude is. And and um, that was just so well done. It's so funny. Um, there were so many little little burns that he threw out through that whole, that whole trial. Um, that stands out really, really strongly to me. Um, 
more than more than anything. And some of the, like the, then you have your quiet moments, you know, in a, a Coen Brothers movie like like this one, you have your big things are trying to tell you something, and then you have your quiet moments where they're almost pouring philosophy on you <laughs> to some degree. Oh, absolutely, um, yeah. Yeah, so I think about when they were staking out that cabin after they dealt with the Methodist and the SOB uh, in the in the cabin, <laughs> and they go up on the hill to wait for uh, Lucky Ned's gang to show up, and he's talking to to Maddie about like you know they're talking he's talking about when he had his a standoff of like seven men and it was just him and he took him down with his Navy sixes, which is foreshadowing in such a good way. Um, but he says something along the lines that sticks with me, and it's in the book. Like, I've read the book as well. Um, oh, I was going to ask you that. Okay. Yeah, yeah. I read the book, and he says he says something along the lines of when a man's confronted with, uh, with, uh, with an, oh, gosh, I can't, I can't get it now that I'm thinking about it. Uh, but he basically says he, all he sees is his self and the wrath that's about to set down on him. And I'm like, oh, my gosh, this is the coolest line I've ever heard in my life. Um, cause it doesn't matter that that comes into play later with the four dudes versus just him. And his whole point of view is they don't see the three men beside them. They're just going to see me charging at them with guns blazing. Um, I love that. I just really went off on a tangent on you there, but that, that. No, that no, really, it's all relevant. Yeah. That was really <laughs> part cool. of the story. That was really cool. I love that, that moment between those two. Yeah, no, I agree. There's a lot of really good, uh, I, I, you know, the the first scene that you talked about where we meet Cogburn um, was so good. And, um, yeah, he's got all these little moments, all these little, you know, comebacks and uh, <laughs> explanations. And they feel so off the cuff. Like, he's just sort of, the information's, like, spilling out of them sometimes. But it's, like, so clever. It's almost like <laughs> you wish that you could think that fast, the way that yeah. all the characters do in the movie. And it's it's just so entertaining. And um, I think right before that, we saw, like, a hanging, too, right? Oh, With snap, the, yeah. Uh, the na- uh, there's a Native American guy and then two other guys. One's crying one's kind of defiant and she sees that and then she goes into the trial and that's when she meets Cogburn and yeah like nothing seems to phase Maddie at all she's got she's very single-minded I like the the scene she has with uh who is it that that guy that she negotiates with uh after her father dies yeah the horse trainer. the horse trainer okay yeah yeah when she's talking to the horse trainer (laughs) Um, yeah, let me look on IMDb and see if I can find it. But, um, when she's talking to the horse trader and her sharp, like, turning everything (laughs) around on him and pointing out how she's not getting a good deal. I wouldn't even pretend like I can remember everything she said, but, um, I love that whole exchange between them because, yeah, she's 14. It's like, seems impossible, but it's also super funny. And, um... She seems to have those interactions with people a lot. I like that scene. I like the one with Matt Damon that you mentioned mm-hmm. where he's at the foot of the bed and uh, he, he does that like, you know, classic kind of cowboy thing of like, he's already there. Yeah. But he's not really cool. He's <laughs> just really arrogant. Yeah. Um, and yeah, I liked that. And when he was like, I, I was thinking about giving you a kiss and then she's like, she like and tells her she's ugly <laughs> and she's just like well what, i can't remember what she says like he's not as handsome as he thinks and that she can help him fix his hair if he needs it because his hair looks dumb and like just it's such a funny exchange um 
Oh, and that yeah. happens so many times throughout the movie. I just, I don't know. It's it like you said. It's kind of hard to pick one moment because there's just so many, so many good ones. Yeah, I, that, that the thing that cracked me up about that whole scene was he says, "I'm down here from Yale County," and she looks at him. I think the first words out of her mouth are, "Is we don't have rodeo clowns in Yale County." <laughs> I'm like, oh my gosh, <laughs> that's so good. Yeah. You're 14. You just own this man. You don't even know him yet. <laughs> I love too when he says he's a you know a Texas Ranger and she's like I guess that's a big deal in Texas but down here it's yeah. like right away taking the wind out of his sails which is like a theme throughout the movie so I really like that too. Um, what are some other scenes that you enjoyed? Oh man, um, I'm trying to watch. <laughs> I won't make you go through every single moment of the no, movie. Don't no, worry. no, no, because there's so, there's so many. I, there's one that that I always forget about. That when it shows up, I'm like, this is amazing. And it's when the the medicine man or the doctor, you could quote unquote oh doctor, gosh, comes I wandering love that part, <laughs> wandering out of the woods with a thousand yard stare and a be- a bear head as a hat, and the way he oh, man. talks to them is just. Who, how they dreamed it up, I'll never know. Like the way he carried himself, and he's a dentist and a doctor. <laughs> he's got, do either of you need medical attention? I'm just like, oh my gosh. Oh my gosh. That's like what I think that's what the Cone Brothers, that's some of what they do the very best is these weird little characters that are just funny by themselves. <laughs> like they don't even have to say anything funny, they're just funny. And um, it, there's some level even though they're so like cartoonishly over the top it feels like there's some level of realism to them like you you could imagine running into this weirdo and like you can tell in the scene that like jeff bridges and uh maddie i mean they're both looking at this guy like um we're out in the middle of nowhere talking to this man <laughs> and i don't feel safe i don't think he's well yeah but we got to navigate ourselves out of this situation. <laughs> yeah, that's like something you can relate um, to. Like if any time you've been yeah. in a city walking down the street or something, you run into something, you're like, I don't know that I need to be talking to you right now. <laughs> <laughs> it's so good. And it like, because it is kind of a serious film, it's like you still get these little breaks like that where um, there's moments of just pure humor, even in really dark situations. So yeah, I like that character. I'm glad you brought him up. He was he was definitely on my list of like one of my favorite scenes. Yeah, and I think that's what makes the Coen Brothers movie so good is they do give you time to breathe. Even even in the heavy ones, they'll try to give you time to breathe. And that was what keeps that pace so well, where you're like, oh man, this is really intense. And you're like busting a gut the next minute. And I don't, I don't know how to do that. I don't know how they do that and make it work because it's so hard to tie like, comedy and drama together in in the way they do it um yes it's just so impressive but yeah those those guys i mean you cannot talk about true grit without talking about the final gunfight um oh man yeah like the intensity that's there and a lot of that can be attributed to the score of this movie that is just i i i Every that, that playing in the background, just the score of the movie, the way it's done, that it fits the setting. It fits the setting better than any 1960s Western. Um, there's just a, there's a way that it's played. There's that old-timey gospel piano kind of sound they've got going on. There's the horns when you need them. It's It just it drives things forward in such a way, particularly in that last scene. Not the last scene, but, you know, near the last scene where they, he actually goes up against Ned pa- Pepper and fill your hands, USOB kind of stuff. Oh, my gosh. That is 
I watched that on YouTube like four times one day just because I wanted to watch it again <laughs> and again. Um, they, they they do they do some they 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 know how to build the tension. Um, the Coens have a really good way of doing that. I, one of the other things is kind of tangential, but as far as westerns, the Battle of Buster Scruggs. Um, oh, I love that. It's so good. It's, it's like it's one of those Cohen things. You either love it or you hate it and couldn't get through it. Uh, I loved every minute Gosh, of I it. I loved it. And there's the the third act or fourth act when there there's the um, the Native American attack on the um, the two the girl and the the dude with the you know the guy who hadn't talked the whole series and he's just, then he's there. Um, yeah, the Oregon Trail thing. That is just masterfully done. And I watch it every now and then just to go, like, it's the the words he says, it's the movements he makes, it's the music that's playing, it's everything just leads up to this big, like, and just blows my face off. And this was one of those, it's, it, this is completely similar in, in how they took it. It just absolutely melts my brain. And I'm like, I wish I could make movies like that. <laughs> <laughs> we all do. Yeah. Yeah, like, um, I think for me, you know, gunfights and action i've kind of talked about on the show before they're not usually what grabs my attention so when they do i really notice it and um i think the coen brothers did a really good job in this film establishing different things about the character so that when you do get that big gunfight in the end it really pays off yeah because um you know we we had cogburn and labeef sort of squaring off earlier in the movie um, and, you know, Labeef is pointing out that he's a drunk and that he's past his prime. He's only got one eye. And there's some really hilarious dialogue back and forth between the <laughs> two of them about that. He points out, you know, your arm and, yeah. you know, it, there's just I mean, they're pointing out like this isn't the best case scenario. Um, and they're flawed people. And then they have that shootout where they're kind of. Um, you know, competing against each other and it doesn't go great. And, <laughs> but then all that stuff, you know, plays into the final fight because, um, it, or also, you know, when poor Labeef goes into a situation where he's, you know, they really need to warn him, but they're so far away and they like can't warm him in time and they cover <laughs> shoots him. I mean, just so many things that set up that final gunfight that really pay off. They're funny, but they're also like, very well timed you know Labeef finally does shoot a really good shot from really far away I love when Haley's like that must have been 400 yards yeah I mean just her reactions to to the violence is pretty funny <laughs> in and of itself but yeah um and then you know things and then she shoots uh Chaney I like that scene because mm -hmm. I kind of like finding out that her father's killer is just I mean he's just a He's just a son of a bitch. Yeah. You know, he doesn't really have great motives. Um, it's not like a bad guy in like the Fistful of Dollars trilogy. It's just mm -hmm. some some jerk, you know. And so she um, shoots him and he falls off that cliff. <laughs> and then she falls into that hole and poor uh, Labeef is knocked out. And like just all the stuff that happens in that la those last scenes like that is just so good. Yeah, it's and she gets bit by that snake. Oh man! Yeah, I love that you brought up how Tom Cheney's just—he's just a bandit. Like that's—that's all he is. There was no crime of passion. There was no like—it was just he shot the man and took his money and left. Um, yeah, he's like he's like Joe Chill. It's like yes, you know, he becomes like inconsequential almost to the story. She believes in all this grand revenge, but then when you when you meet him, you're like, oh well, yeah, he seems like some dumb drunk idiot that would shoot people at a right. saloon, like. 
And the way he completely (laughs) didn't expect for her to be like hunting him down. He's like, oh, you're what's his name, girl? What are you doing way out here? Just like a a crazy (laughs) uncle that meets his niece again for, you know? Yeah. And and she's got a gun (laughs) on him. He's like, oh, you know, then it's then it's a whole nother ballgame. But he's immediately just like, oh, what are you doing here? This is weird. Fancy that. You know? Yeah, I think it speaks to the fact that, yeah, he just thought so little of her yeah. that, you know, meeting her means it just doesn't have the, the impact that she thought it was going to, but she still uh, shoots him. Um, yeah. <laughs> so she gets bit by the snake and then uh, Cogburn sucks the poison out of her hand, but we find out later that she actually lost her arm. Yeah. All uh, right. Uh, to that. And uh, I like. Ha- okay. Maybe I'm jumping ahead a little bit, but mm-hmm. do you like how this movie ends? I saw some back and forth discussion in, in the Facebook group about the ending. How, how do you feel about the ending? I like the ending. The ending leads, it matches the book. Um, ah, I think it's, that's what I thought. Yeah. yeah it mat- this. I mean, you would be amazed at the amount of dialogue this rips square from the book. Like we can praise Joe and, so Joel cool. and Ethan Cohen's dialogue because they deserve it. Um, and they've, they've done well outside of this, but they pulled out so much good stuff uh from the book it's if you like this movie you will like the book and i, I highly encourage people to read it because it's fantastic Ooh, i want to read it i need a book to read yeah so. it's not a long one it's it's just a fun it's just a good story you'll, you'll find yourself wanting to highlight things that's the way I, i'm like i need to remember that that's <laughs> i just, love books like that and yeah. i definitely do that even on my ipad yeah I'm like highlighting away yeah if i remember to come back to it as another story but i do highlight it right <laughs> but i i mean i've watched i've watched the other one where john wayne rides off into the sunset you know he like rears up and takes off and he's a hero um but this one just felt more realistic and i think the whole movie did uh it felt like something that could have happened and and I appreciate realism. I know a lot of people are like, I want to see the the cowboy win and then meet up together and have a beer, you know. And but that's just that's not the light. That's not how it happens most of the time. <laughs> Real Bravo style. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And I really, I just really <laughs> appreciate that they didn't they didn't decide to to give the audience what the audience may want, but they gave it the ending it deserves. Um, yeah. Do you get the sense that so? westerns as as books as novels are a certain way and then back then when when john wayne was big um they become something else when they're transferred to the screen it's almost like they're thinking in the book it can be whatever the author wanted but then on the big screen you know you're converting it into a big hollywood production you want to pull butts and seats mm-hmm. and you want people to have a really good time and it's john wayne we can't let him down like yeah. i think that's probably that kind of movie and then this is you know 2010 so it's like totally different audience completely different tone you know trying to take this this movie and put out there what the book set out to do yeah and yeah i think in some ways i would i could even entertain the idea that they're almost impossible to compare just because they are so wildly different it's like they're two different styles of filmmaking so you know it's like i completely understand wanting that you know, older style of Western, like not knocking that. I enjoy those quite a bit, but yeah, I mean, I'm of this time, right? So I kind of do prefer the grittier, darker, and probably more true to life. Uh, I mean, as true to life as that crazy, awesome gun show can be, but you know, uh, more true to life ending. And, you know, I didn't want uh, Maddie to end up with the Texas Ranger and, 
it you know as much as she lost her father so it's obvious that you know both Matt Damon and Jeff Bridges are sort of father figures in the movie for her like that's not why she sought them out but that's what's going on Mm -hmm. but at the same time you don't necessarily want her like they're like and now I'm gonna raise you like that feels very like silly you know like in something that really wouldn't happen like Cogburn kind of abandoned his own family I don't see him raising her (laughs) so when they keep this sort of cold estranged but mutually respectful relationship I liked that yeah because that's the kind of dad he would be you know he's your Han Solo he's gonna like leave at the end yeah (laughs) he's not gonna stick around he cared for maddie by the end i mean that was even growing early on when she first crosses the river and then labeef is like beating her with a switch and uh (laughs) she goes you're not gonna let him keep doing this are you mr mr cogburn and he looks at looks at me nah don't think i will (laughs) you know and he he pulls his gun on him (laughs) and i'm like yes this guy and that was the first moment where like this guy has heart He's got it. He cares enough or he wouldn't be doing the job he's doing. But then you get down, you know, talking about he had a son and his son didn't care much for him because he thought he was too hard on him. And then his wife left him. Yeah, she went back to her first husband. I told her, good luck. Maybe you'll have fun the second time or something like that, you know. (laughs) I mean, he's he's a cowboy, right? And our our favorite cowboy heroes ride off into the sunset, as you said. But part of that is that they're loners. So we don't really want to see them you know, quit the life and start a family. It just doesn't, it's just not as cool, you know? Um, And then Haley kind of does the same thing, right? Like she, I think they mentioned at the end, like she doesn't marry. Right. um, Because she has like this independence that feels impossible in that time, Mm -hmm. but also possible because she is in the Wild West. She's not married. So in a way it's like, by living out there, she can kind of maintain her independence in a way women couldn't back then. And she figured it out. She's like, if I don't get married, then I'm good. Yeah. Like, I can keep doing this. I can do and so she does that, which fits into the, you know, it, it's why her and Cogburn got along is because they're both like that. And uh, I thought it was so fitting that when she went back to see him one more time, he had already passed. There's something like super touching about that to me. Yeah. Um, And then I love the part where his colleague just talks about the good times they had and she listens to that. And I love that at the end of his life, he became just like a, a gun show guy because <laughs> cowboys had gone away, which is another wonderful ingredient to any good Western is cowboys are going away. They're fastly going yeah. away. And it's like, you can't even have a good Western un- unless the, the idea is that the sun is setting on them. You know, So yeah. I love that he ended up that way that he just, he, he became like a showman instead because it was over. Yeah. I looked up like wh- how long did the wild West actually last? It was like 1866 to 1900. <laughs> it makes sense, right? I mean, it's not really sustainable to do whatever the heck you want without law and order, yeah. but yeah, so that... <laughs> eventually society is going to creep in and say, hey, we should <laughs> we should wrangle all this, you know? Yeah, so the idea that, that it's fading away, you're right. It's almost essential to a good Western. Like, I mean, you you hear about Wild Bill, and like it's Wild Bill's Wild West show or whatever it was. Like, cowboys became yeah. sideshow clowns almost. Exactly. It's like there's not really a place for them, and in society and so you know eventually his skills aren't really needed anymore but um he continued to kind of kept doing what he loved until the end and i just i thought that was like a nice little fade away and it's just satisfying to see maddie all grown up and doing well and so you kind of get the best of both in a way like it's not like a neat little rap bow in some ways but in other ways it is like a good conclusion yeah and i'm glad to hear that it's similar to the book 
Yeah, it gets bookended. You know, you got you got your way you started and the way you ended both are, are satisfying. And you, you know what happened. It doesn't just leave you to wonder. Um, and I appreciate that for sure. Awesome. Well, was there yeah. anything, any scenes that we didn't, that I skipped over that we didn't get to cover? No, I mean, we, we covered, we covered so much. It's so hard to cover a movie this, <laughs> this dense in, in 50 minutes, but like, I think one of the things I appreciate a lot about this in, in many Westerns, and I, I've started reading Western novels too. I've been reading a lot of Louis L'Amour Ooh. books. Um, just you should post I like love... Twitter Rex cause I, I need more reading content yeah i need to i need to start up my little um book review <laughs> blog again but no it's there <laughs> but yeah so it's been it's been a um i've been reading all those and kind of looking at how westerns are done and so much of it is just a simple plot like it's white hat black hat bad guy good guy i mean this movie if you had to sum it up in a sentence it's like a woman chases a bandit across the desert um and that, but but that's right. not what it is. It's it's westerns almost rely on the strength of character, and the strength of bonds between two characters. And you can have the dumbest plot, but you've got so much to work with in the survival aspect of being out there, the lawlessness of being out there, the guns and the bandits and the stuff. It's it's absolutely insane the amount of of ground you can cover with the simplest string. Like I'm just gonna I'm gonna put a bad guy over there. Let's say he robbed a bank. Good guy over here. He's got to go find him. And that's almost the plot to every Western movie you'll ever watch. Is somebody robs someone and there's a guy who's gonna go find him. The way the reason this is so touching is because Rooster's not that good of a guy. Uh, he's not your stand up <laughs> like uh, Matt Dillon Gunsmoke. Uh, kind of kind of character he's not the the good u.s marshal he's he's a drunk he's a drunk he's verbally abusive he's not easy to work with he most likely murders more bandits than he saves it, it's as exhibited in the trial they clearly he killed that man <laughs> i couldn't even blood. remember uh but, but i remember that he he what was funny about that trial is that you know they were like oh you don't remember this many this many this many well we can look it up and he's like okay 23 yeah, like, like he just he's like if you're gonna look it up i actually know how many men have you shot <laughs> shot or killed let's keep it just killed so that, or <laughs> shot so that we or no killed so that we may have a manageable figure oh my gosh <laughs> i laughed so hard at that it was so good and he's like yeah seven eight 23 um, but yeah, you learn, you learn through that whole thing that he didn't, he, he was totally a terrible person. He definitely shot that guy, but he was folksy. And that goes back to like your, your conversation, you're talking in the trial where he threw out the jokes, uh, or came back at the guy, like how, uh, which direction did you go when you're backing up? And he says, I always go backwards when I'm backing up. And, uh, everybody <laughs> in the room laughed. I mean, no one can deliver that like Jeff Bridges. No. I mean, he really, he just has a knack for... It, it, either w when he's in this role or like we were talking about earlier on the dude i mean he just always has the greatest comebacks yeah and regardless of the character so yeah <laughs> i it's always so go good. backwards yeah it's so good I... but that feels like such a part of the old west too or dialogue is like a lot of it is sort of sarcastic back and forth yeah. and so that's another reason why it's just so good it's like it's like a noir with dirt <laughs> it's, it's the yes. way it feels yes very much yeah so. you're, you're a film noir but with dirt um that's the way it always feels like I'm, I'm a sucker for any of that kind of stuff. And this just, this perfectly scratched all, all the itches. I, I mean, I could turn around and watch it again. It's just, it's watching Same. these actors work um, and do, do this job and make you believe it. It's just so, so good. And I'm sure we're going to end this podcast. I'm going to think of like a hundred other things 
I could have brought up about how how much I enjoyed this film, but no, nah, it's that. I mean, we have we have covered it one up one way and down the other in terms of scenery, and it's it stands out. And if anybody hasn't seen it, I man, they got to get on it. Oh yeah, I think that the Coen brothers do such a good job too when they do these sort of like period piece or kind of almost like slice of life stuff too, you know, where they really dive into the location, uh, the way people talk, the way people dress. And like, I don't know, like they always do that so well, whether it be like Fargo or this or well, Brother Where Art Thou, it's just like where they shine. And it's just such a good film. But I agree, we could, I could talk about this till, I don't know, midnight. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Let's yeah. not do that because, you know, <laughs> we, we got stuff to do. Uh, but, um, yeah, so that brings me to, like, the last couple of questions that I have for you then. Uh, number one, uh, why do you love this movie so much? Why do you keep coming back to it? Um, I know we talked about that for this whole time, but, like, maybe summarize it. What 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 keeps you coming back to this one in particular? Um, I, I grew up watching Westerns on Western Channel, like said, my dad. My dad, my entire life, wanted me to be a cowboy and ride horses and, you know, do the, do the like, that's what he does. And I didn't, Aww. I didn't, um, I'm much more of a computer nerd, uh, but like, I love riding, riding horses with my dad. I love being around horses. I love, I love being around the horse tack and believe it or not, manure is a comforting smell to me. Um, <laughs> and there's something about a Western that will bring me back to that, that I can share in that without necessarily being in it. And, and True Grid is one of the ones that has me there in in a way that it's almost like bridging a a universe like sure i'm into movies big time and a lot of movies he's never been into pretty much if it doesn't have a horse in it he's not going to watch it um so movies like this allow me to connect with him in a way that we both can have a good time uh and that's that's one of the reasons i treasure this movie so much is i remember watching it and like as soon as we left the theater, he's like, you ever watch the old John Wayne one? I was like, no, I've never seen it. He's like, we're going to go home and we're going to watch the old John Wayne one. I'm like, okay. So I watched True Grit for four hours that day, pretty much. Um, <laughs> but it, it was just time time spent with him in a way to get to to uh, meet in the middle, you know, have our, our universes that's collide. That's so nice. Know? I did not know that. I did not know about all your horse riding. So that's really, yeah. <laughs> that's really cool. I didn't know you were going to have such a such a big connection that's very nice i think i rode a horse once when i was 12 (laughs) it didn't go great if i'm honest um haven't been on one since but (laughs) i will admit that like in the past few years i have gotten more into westerns which is weird i grew up in texas you think that would be like a big part of my life but they really weren't um and so now like i really badly want to when things are better i want to go back to like uh las vegas and instead of just going to the strip and stuff like that i want to take one of those like early morning like horse rides through like the canyon and then like they have like a cowboy breakfast and like oh man i really want to do stuff like that (laughs) so and i think it's because of these movies so i um for me like this film when i saw it i wasn't watching a lot of westerns um i i think i liked like you know uh, tombstone yeah unforgiven you know, the more modern ones are modern then. Um, But I really enjoyed this film so much. And it's definitely one that I like to come back to for all the reasons that you've mentioned uh, while we've talked about this, like the dialogue, the the soundtrack, um, the actors themselves. Um, It's just such a good film. Um, What what is your pitch 
to someone that hasn't seen this before? Like, what would you say to someone like to get them to see this movie? Oh man. I would just say you just need <laughs> to see Jeff Bridges as a cowboy, a drunk cowboy. <laughs> and that would probably be enough to hook them. Be like, okay, I'm, I'm, if they're a Jeff Bridges fan already. Uh, but if I'm trying oh, to yeah. be real like sincere about it, I'd be like, it's just an incredible story of a, a, a man helping out a young girl who needs help finding a bandit that shot her dad. Uh, and that's, that's really what it comes down to. That's, that's the bare bones of it. Like he, for 50 bucks, he's going to go find the guy who killed her dad. And she's persistent enough. This is the wild thing. Like when you think about Charles Portis wrote this and he decided to write it from the point of view of a 14 year old girl or, or, or rather an, an older woman looking back at an adventure she had, uh, with an old cowboy. And that's such an interesting choice for a Western. I think that might be why this stands out so well in novels and stuff. Like, you look at Louis L'Amour, everyone's a white hat, black hat that's chasing each other down. But this one took oh, yeah. a whole different angle. Um, it's like, it, 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 you're rewarded for that. Uh, and just the way he has to work around, the way she speaks, the way she deals with things she doesn't know how to do. Um, and it, it, gave, it gave this movie and, and book more more to work with than just your typical Western. And I, I, I appreciate that for it. And I hope somebody would be like, that sounds good. That sounds like I would go see that. Oh, that, that's a really good point. It is a unique perspective in a Western because so often it is entirely from the perspective of the cowboy, the main character, uh, as it were. Mm -hmm. Or, you know, there, when there's women, they're usually uh, sex workers yeah. or, you know... Um, a mom or something like that. So this is such a different uh, character for that setting. It's some someone that you can't really imagine moving throughout that world very well. So like, and she doesn't, and that's kind of why <laughs> it makes it more interesting. Um, but yeah, no, I agree. I, I think this is a, it is different from the original and, you know, definitely not trying to take anything away from the original, right. but, um, but it is really good and it is closer to the book and, it's a strong recommend. Although I don't know if somebody already knows like how into these movies I already am, they might be like, well, Lisa likes all those Coen Brothers <laughs> movies, so I'm not exactly like unbiased. Right. I would also agree. I think it's just like a really good film. Yeah. Um, well, Steven, thank you so much for coming back uh and picking this movie uh where can people find you oh people can find all the things that i do over at legionofdorks.com there's links to all our podcasts um we're actually doing a charity stream on december 4th uh all day long and play video games for toys for tots uh which is pretty cool oh, and awesome. um, we have a new book coming out our our community actually does a uh anthology series of of stories and uh, that's coming out tomorrow, actually. It's launching wow. launching tomorrow, and half of the proceeds of the book will go to Toys for Tots as well as part of that charity drive. So if you're interested in reading some cool stories, including, uh, guess what, a Western by me, um, you can check out Horizons. Uh, Legion of Dorks presents Horizons, an anthology of epic journeys. And that's going to be on Amazon and Barnes & Noble and everywhere that you can get books. You can get it in actual print or ebook, um, and it all goes to support Toys for Tots. So we're really excited about that. Awesome. Well, everyone should check out your show and that book and your drive. That's very, very awesome. Thank you so much for coming back and hope to have you back oh, soon. Thank you so much, Lisa. This was a blast. <laughs>